This is the daily lectionary comments for July the 17th. We're going to look at, um, we're going to start a brand new book, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, and uh, we're going to continue in Galatians with Galatians chapter 5. Okay, we're beginning in 1 Samuel, brand new book. Um, as far as the narrative of chapter 1, this is a sweet little narrative about Hannah and her longing for a child and her prayer to the Lord and and how how the Lord hears that prayer. And, and it's all it's very sweet and it's very beautiful. And I really don't need to go through much in this text. It's all pretty self-explanatory. But there are some things that I want to kind of lay the foundation so that you'll understand what's happening in the larger narrative. This is a transitional period. And that is that in the in the wilderness, during the time of the wilderness, God ruled his people in what we might call a, a direct theocracy. God ruled his people directly through Moses. I mean, God simply spoke to Moses and directed and guided the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud moved and the people moved with it. God, God was very hands-on there. And he continued that, uh, not quite as spectacularly, but continued that pattern with Joshua and the conquest of, of, the, um, of the land of Canaan. But once the people moved into the land of Canaan and settled in, then we get the period of the judges. And this, then we had more of an ad hoc direct theocracy where God would rule through this or that uh, judge. But we are about to move to the next phase from a kind of hands-on direct or ad hoc theocracy as we've seen in, in Moses and in the judges to what, what we'll call a, a monarchical theocracy. God is moving in the direction of ruling his people through his anointed king. So Samuel is a transitional character. That is, on the one hand, he is the last and he is the greatest of the judges. He is the one judge where we really have to say, I mean, I, I guess there's nothing negative to say about Othniel or, or Deborah, but there's re re relatively little to say about them at all other than the particular thing that God raised them up to do. Where Samuel, we have a much more in-depth look at him and his character, and he is clearly a judge that we can look up to. He is clearly devoted to the Lord and a man of deep faith, and God is going to use him to establish the next phase in God's rule. Samuel is the last and the greatest of the judges. On the other hand, he is also sort of a prefigurement of the coming kings. Samuel, unlike Moses, unlike Joshua, unlike any of the judges, and even unlike David, was a prophet, a priest, and a king all rolled into one. And so he prefigures David, who was a prophet and a king. He also prefigures Christ in that Samuel prefigures David as the perfect anointed king, and David prefigures Christ as the perfect anointed king, uh, the utterly perfect. Uh, so, so we see that Samuel is a transitional character. We're moving from a direct theocracy or ad hoc theocracy to a monarchical theocracy. And this is very important because Israel will become a monarch and a monarchy, a divine monarchy, and it will remain so. And the church itself is a monarchical theocracy. Christ rules his church as its king and head 
through the Holy Spirit and the Word. The church is not a democracy or a representative government in any way, shape, or form. Christ owns this church, and we are his servants, and that's that. So we are moving to that final stage where God is going to begin uh, ruling his people through his anointed king, which is finally going to come to, to its culmination in God ruling uh, his church through his his Christ, his anointed one. Okay, last thing. Samuel, you, you can see, and I, I spoke yesterday about, uh, about Samson, is really a picture of Israel. That Israel started out with such promise and all the power of God and all the promises of God and his help. They get into the promised land and what happens after that, according to the book of Judges, is just plain disappointing. You would have expected much more uh, than what ended up happening. And Samuel is the same way. He starts with such promise, the promise of God and the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and his being holy to God. But Samuel also really underperforms, to say the least, a, a, a big disappointment in the land of Canaan. So Samuel, excuse me, Saul, I'm sorry, Samson is a picture of Israel and Israel's failings. On the other hand, Samuel is going to be a picture of the coming king, King David. And, and uh, so we have a very different view of the judge and a much better, a much more exalted view. But Samuel is not a picture of Israel. Samuel is a picture of the coming king and ultimately a picture of the Christ. So I want you to keep these things in mind as we go forward uh, and as we un unfold the character of Samuel and the things that happened there. All right, Galatians chapter 5 is a wonderful chapter in which Paul really begins to bring things together. And it begins with these, uh, with these words, for freedom Christ has set us free. Now, those words are easy to abuse, and people abuse them all the time. We want to talk about what, is, what does he mean when he says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Freedom from what? Okay, well, the context of all of this is that Judaizers have come into the kingdom, uh, come into the churches, and are trying to persuade people that they need to adopt a different view than Paul taught, regarding the law of Moses. What the Judaizers were teaching was two things. Number one, that you are saved by undertaking the law of Moses and following Jesus. Okay, these Judaizers were Christians, but they understood that you undertook the law of Moses and followed Jesus, and that's how you're saved. You are saved by the law of Moses and following Jesus. And secondly, you are saved for the law of Moses. Once you are saved, your purpose in life is to keep the law of Moses. Okay, when Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free, he is referring first and foremost to this law of Moses. Now, regarding whether we are saved by the law of Moses, okay, by undertaking the obligations of the law of Moses and following Jesus, Paul would say, number one, you are not saved that way. Nobody has ever been saved that way. Israelites were never saved by following the laws of Moses. That has never been the case. And that's why Paul talks about and talks so much about the faith of Abraham. 
He goes into great detail about how it's Abraham's faith, faith in the promise of God, delivered to him 430 years before the law of Moses made its appearance that Abraham and his offspring were saved. So Paul makes the point that salvation existed before the law of Moses, and it exists now as well, um, uh, with the law of Moses or without the law of Moses. Nobody has ever been saved by the law of Moses, so you are freed from that. Of course, that is a lie. When, when the Judaizers say you were saved by the law of Moses, that they were just plain wrong, and, and they were wrong not only in the New Testament context, they're wrong in the Old Testament context too. Now, regarding what we are saved for, here, uh, it, it's, it's more interesting or subtle, I guess, because it is true that there has been a change. In the Old Testament, one was never saved by the law of Moses, but certainly the Israelites were saved for the law of Moses. In other words, the people were saved in order to serve God, and the law of Moses was the pattern by which they were to serve God. So the purpose of their being saved was to keep the commandments and stipulations of the law of Moses and so serve God in this way. The Judaizers are saying that the same thing holds in the church today, that we are saved for the keeping of the law of Moses. That's how we serve God. And here, here, Paul is acknowledging that there is a change. It used to be that people were saved for the law of Moses, but not anymore. That's why he talks about the law of Moses being a guardian, a guardian that had its purpose for a time until, until the, the right time came. And he says, at just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Okay, so so now we are no longer saved for the keeping of the stipulations of the law of Moses. The law of Moses was a guardian, and the purpose of that guardianship is now ended. It is set aside. In the new covenant, we are saved by faith. That is to say, we are saved as the, it is a gift of God. God gives us the Holy Spirit through the word to whoever believes and is baptized. They receive that Holy Spirit. What are we saved for? We are to say we are saved for the purpose of walking by that spirit. What does the spirit tell us to do? Well, the spirit creates in us the mind and likeness of Christ. So we are to have the, 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 the attitudes uh, and, and the temperament uh, and, 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 and the desire to do what Christ desired to do. And Paul outlines it. These are the fruits of the spirit. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, such things, there is no law. So we are saved for the purpose of walking by the Spirit, and the Spirit will teach us to live like Christ lived. The Spirit will also teach us to avoid the works of the flesh. In other words, we no longer live as human beings who just want to do what they want to do, and he lists the various works of the flesh, which obviously are not what we are to live according to now. So for freedom, Christ has set us free. We are freed from the law of Moses. We were never saved by it, and nor are we any longer saved for it. But we are saved to serve God and to serve our neighbor by loving God with all our heart and mind and strength, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and letting the Holy Spirit produce in us the fruit of the Spirit.